a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon. Welcome to Inside Sources. I'm your host, Greg Scordis, filling in this afternoon for Boyd Matheson, and I'll be with you for the next couple of hours. We have quite a full show today, and I appreciate the the, the engineers and the producers at KSL for setting this up. We've been working on it for several hours, and there may be a, a break. We are expecting there's a chance that our president will be speaking today about the filibuster and perhaps a change to that, which sort of leads into the first segment that we intend to talk about today. Um, I was interested in reading an article as we were preparing for the show today, and it's written by a contributor uh, from the American Purpose named Tom Koenig, who's joined us today. The article is entitled, What the New Right is Getting Wrong, and subtitled, Conservatives See the Slow Pace of American Politics as a Vice, but it's what the founders intended. And it's really an interesting read, and I would encourage all of you to to look this up when we're done today and, and check this out. Tom, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Greg. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us what you mean by this. Um, the slow pace of American politics uh, is seen as a vice, but it's what the founders intended. And, and what I would be most interested in hearing from you is is how they how they implemented what you're talking about in terms of putting together our constitution and our system of government. Mm-hmm. So the main uh, the main source for my argument in this piece is actually a book uh, written by Greg Weiner, who's a professor and is stationed um, at a think tank in Washington called the American Enterprise Institute, and it's called Madison's Metronome. And it's really about James Madison's political thought, but of course, you know, Madison was such a key part of framing the Constitution. And in Madison's mind, and I think he was right, you know, the longer that a majority takes to cohere and to um, come together and to formulate a law, the more reasonable that law will be. His his argument was that our passions um, often burn out. They fizzle out. Like, we'll get angry for a couple seconds, maybe a couple hours. But, you know, give someone a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months, and they'll come back to their senses. And the same is true on a societal level. So they really believed in the power of time uh, to produce more reasonable legislation and how they got there um, and then transferring that into structures that would induce uh, laws that would take time to, to, to form um, with, you know, the checks and balances that we see today in the Constitution, the different layers of government like federalism. There are all these different, um, some would call them roadblocks, and they are to some degree, 
but mainly they're, they're ways of ensuring that a majority is a majority that can cohere for a long enough period of time to be, in Madison's mind, a reasonable majority. And, and we've seen that a bit, Tom, in terms of what's happened with our government over the last, let's say, two administrations. Uh, why is it that you think that um, the new generation of conservatives are frustrated by the slow pace? What is it about their agenda that is causing this um, mm-hmm. frustration, I guess? Yeah, and I, I don't think it's confined to the right. I think we see similar frustration on the uh, the fringes of the left about frustration about the pace of American politics. Um, I think oftentimes what the real issue is is that these these fringes are exactly that. They're fringes, uh, and they don't have the lasting, stable majorities that are needed to actually enact um, substantive, meaningful change in this country. If you look at the if you look over American history, you know, when the most fruitful periods of legislative activity, if you think about, say, FDR's New Deal, I mean, the Democrats had massive majorities at the time. Uh, they, they really had a hold on American political power and, you know, perhaps for good reason. Right. And right now, neither party has that sort of power. Neither party um, is really tapping into a supermajority of the American public. So what we're left with is kind of two somewhat minority power par- parties who want to act like they uh, that they deserve um, this massive this massive mandate to do everything that they want right now right now this instant and when they when they can't do that because the system just doesn't allow it they say oh well the system's rotten and it's maybe the correct answer is no you have to go out and persuade more people. But it seems, Tom, as though this system not working right now is seen as a product of the filibuster. And, and I know that wasn't contemplated by the founders of our Constitution necessarily, but, but it, it, it just occurs to some of us who are frustrated on wh- whichever side that nothing's getting done. Because, in fact, um, unless you have that, uh, I won't call it a supermajority, but it's more than just a simple majority, you can't get anything done. And because of that, we don't seem to be getting a lot done. And at least, uh, I, at least a lot of people feel like right now that we're not getting much done in this country because of that, because of just the fact that the, these two minorities that you just talked about are so diametrically opposed or at least seemingly opposed to the other side getting their agenda passed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are you know valid concerns sometimes. People can get frustrated, especially when, you know, a, a minority party isn't willing to play ball at all, and they can use the filibuster to just uh, roadblock every single piece of legislation. And I think that there could be fruitful conversations about how do you reform the filibuster. I mean, Madison, I, I can't remember the right Federalist paper, but he comes out against supermajority uh, requirements in legislative assemblies. He wasn't a fan of things like a 60-vote threshold filibuster. Um, maybe you could reinstitute a talking filibuster or a speaking filibuster, as some call it, where to filibuster you actually have to hold the floor. Um, maybe that would make some of our senators less apt to filibuster. The, another idea that I have been thinking about, I haven't written about it, um, so maybe it's half-baked, would be to think about what I was saying earlier about uh, Greg Weiner's book and Madison's political thought about having a majority cohere over time, you know, we talk about the Senate as the cooling plate under the cup of tea, right? It's supposed to be 
more slow moving, more deliberation, and the defenders of the filibuster will often defend it on those terms, not entirely unreasonably so. But I wonder, um, instead of having something like a supermajority filibuster, what if we, uh, for certain types of legislation, maybe for, I wouldn't say for all legislation, but you know, certain of these, these bigger pieces of legislation that aren't getting that 60-vote threshold, maybe they just need the 50-vote threshold, but in two consecutive legislative sessions. Maybe you spread it out over time so you have to win a majority twice or three times, and that yeah. would reduce concerns about rash, um, big-time, you know, big fundamental legislative changes being snapped into existence by a bare majority in the Senate, and that could reduce some of the fears of those who are who defend the filibuster. You, you answered my next question, which is, what are we going to do about it? Tom, thank you for joining us today. And to our listeners, really, this is a, this is a very good read. If you could find uh, uh, this article by uh, Tom Koenig, What the New Right is Getting Wrong, uh, very fascinating. And I think that he makes some very good points here. Uh, when we come back after the break, uh, we're going to be joined by Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill talking to us about what we can expect in 2022 as it relates to criminal justice reform and a big uh, development in an extradition from a multiple murderer uh, from Mexico. Stay tuned. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.